Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. What did you expect? Welcome, Sonny. Make yourself at home. Marry my daughter. You got to remember that these are just simple farmers. These are people of the land. The common clay of the New West. You know, morons. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, Blazing Saddles. Beware. Spoilers. Coming to you from my basement, my name is Don. And to my right, we have our comic book guy, John. Howdy. And to our left, we have the professor, Ken. Evening. I think you guys did the exact same thing when we did... Hail or high water. I agree. <clears throat> so Yes, sir. That's right. We are back in Western mode. Uh, I think this is John's favorite genre next to musicals. Um, period pieces. No, you don't know what a period piece is. Uh, so, yeah, Blazing Saddles. <laughs> this was your pick. Why'd you pick it? Why'd I pick it? Because it's a good Western. Is it? <laughs> uh, you beat me by one second, Professor. Of all the Westerns out there. This one makes me laugh. Okay, well, <clears throat> I hate to be the one to break this to you. but No, you don't. That says a lot about your character. Well, how many um, Westerns out there? Can you name any other Westerns out there that have pie fights? Oh, I'm sure there are. Why would there be a pie fight in a Western? Why not? I don't see how that makes it a Western. Well, if, if they're in a saloon and they have pies, I mean, it, there could be a pie fight in a Western. And, and actually, I'm pretty sure there are. I'm pretty sure blazing saddles doesn't own the patent on pie fights in a western well if there is and if any of our listeners know they can put it in the comments there you go i love that so john needs a pie fight to make a western no successful for no he doesn't need it he's saying why not why did i pick this western because it's funny and how many westerns you know that has a pie fight no other westerns that i know of have pie fights and that is the reasoning we get blazing saddles you asked me to pick a Western, I provided. You know, I'm I'm pretty fucking close to uh, uh, throwing down a new rule here that from here on out, John doesn't get to pick any movies. What do you think, Professor? <laughs> <laughs> that made him snort. <laughs> yeah, you did. No, I'm just kidding, John. We kind of like your movies. Kind of. Hey, it gives us something to talk about. Ain't that the fucking trick? Heck yeah. Uh, this is a Mel Brooks film. You big Mel Brooks fan there, mm-hmm. buddy? You like him? I, I like a lot of his stuff. What's your favorite Mel Brooks movie? Oh, that's a tough one. I do like my Spaceballs. History yeah. of the World Part 1. That's a good one. That's yours? I think so. Uh, what about Young Frankenstein? Young Frankenstein is an incredible movie as well. Robin Hoodman tights? I was just thinking that one. That one's not as strong. Young Frankenstein is definitely a, a stronger contender. Silent movie? Yeah. No, I have to agree with John on this one. I think Spaceballs is my favorite Mel Brooks movie. And and, and why wouldn't it be? Uh, 87, 
I was in seventh grade, very impressionable, you know. Um, no, I, I, I really enjoy space balls, but a close second to that, sir, is Young Frankenstein for sure. Probably my first introduction to Mel Brooks. It's Frankenstein. Frankenstein. When did this movie come out? Uh, Young Frankenstein? Well, that's a really good question, John. This one. <laughs> Young Frankenstein actually came out after this movie because that was one of the agreements that uh, Gene Wilder made with Mel Brooks to make this movie is if he'd make his idea next, which was Young Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, both Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles were nominated for Academy Awards. Mm -hmm. Blazing Saddles was nominated for five Academy Awards. Can you believe no, that? No, no, three. Not Blazing Saddles three. was nominated for three Academy Awards. It was Awards. three? Three. Okay, that's my bad. Yeah, read my notes. Supporting actress. Second page. Sound uh, slash score. And the third Edit. one. Editing. Editing. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Professor. Hey, I knew it. It was for editing, Dick Snot. The fuck? Fuck that guy. Oh my God, you're fucking killing me. Released on February 7th, 1974. Directed by Mel Brooks. Screenplay by Mel Brooks, Norman Steinberg, Andrew Bergman, Richard Pryor, and Al Ugger. Story by Andrew Bergman. Stars Cleveland Little, Gene Wilder, Slim Pickens, Alex Carraz, Harvey Corman, and Madeline Kahn. I was surprised. I don't think I ever knew that Richard Pryor played a role in writing it. Yeah, neither did I. I saw his name on the credits because I was kind of half paying attention. Um, and so for some reason, I thought he was in it. And I thought that memory uh, served that he was in it at the end in that sequence when they're on the sound stages and stuff. I thought he was in that bit, but he wasn't. Mm -hmm. He was just, he helped write the screenplay. Mm -hmm. He was originally supposed to be Black Bart. Yeah, I think I had heard that. And uh, the I think the producers didn't want him in because they felt all of his legal issues uh, and he was unreliable. They thought it would just cause problems. And he, uh, when he was asked to uh, to, to play it, uh, what uh, Pryor told uh, Mel Brooks was uh, he thinks that he could get away with playing uh, a, a Cuban maybe, but in general he kind of sort of thought that uh, Cleveland Little, he would he'd scare the shit out of people, uh, out of white people. Yeah. Uh, when's the last time you watched this? Oh, it's been twenty years. What about you? VHS. Yeah. So it's probably been uh, at least that long, if not longer, for me. Yeah. I do know that I have seen it. I think the last time I saw it was on TV, the edited version. So like the campfire fart scene, there were no sounds. Yeah. That was a that was an Oscar award uh, kind of winning scene there, mm -hmm. sitting around the fire. And One of the first times they had farts in a movie like that. Uh, it, it made me chuckle this time around. In in, uh, in previous times watching the movie, that's always that makes me bust a gut. But this time, you know, I only chuckled, and it came down to something that happens when I'm watching a movie. If I'm watching it in a theater. The audience plays a large part in 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 moving my emotions. In watching it with a group of other people, a bunch of friends, I am you know in influenced by that as well. Me watching this movie this time by myself, it was a very different experience. I would akin it to if you were to be watching the Rocky Horror movie by yourself, 
part of the magic of the Rocky Horror is the follow along that the audience participates during the movie. But just to sit and watch it by yourself, it is a very different experience. And because of that, I was uh, I, I was crestfallen watching it this time around because it is a very different uh, experience watching it just me in conjunction with today's times and the you know the, the time that this movie was made versus where we are today in society socially speaking yeah and we all know that flatulence is comedy gold yeah who doesn't love dick and fart jokes if you have an amazon device one of my favorite new things to do is to say alexa random fart that doesn't surprise me at all. I'm sure that is one of your most favorite things to do ever. And, and my wife loves it when I do that. I'm sure she does. At least it's fake, right? So she doesn't have to smell it. Yeah. So you you got you to gotta pull out little positives and little victories here but and there. But it is a great time if you've got one brewing. You do it on the device and then blame it on the device. You blame the smell on the device? Yeah. Okay, how 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 does that work? Was it just an admit like a puff of air or something? Or uh, Alexa's just amazing. Wow, wow. You stick with that, huh? I, I try. It doesn't doesn't work very often. <laughs> I can't imagine it working at all. Uh Blazing Saddles gets an eighty eight on Rotten Tomatoes. Comes out today. Does it get an eighty eight? Even Mel Brooks has said this movie could not be made today. Yeah, there's no way. They uh, they said if it came out today, they couldn't use the N-word, which was obviously used a lot in this movie. Um, and he said that this movie was based around that, you know, to kind of try to smash racists in the face. Uh, interesting way of going about it. Yeah. It, it, it appears to be more racist than anything. Well, the, the whole point of the movie was made uh, because Mel Brooks was mad at racism and intolerance. So he wanted to make a movie and he had talked it over with Richard Pryor that basically made fun of racists and how stupid and idiotic they were. So if you notice everybody who uses that word in it is an imbecile in the movie. Even the, even the townsfolk who they refer to as morons are the people who are using the word. Anyone who feels comfortable using that word in general is a moron. Yeah. So yeah, no, I got that. I just, I don't know if we needed so much of it yeah and maybe that's just me i don't know going back and watching it now it it's a little cringy and mm-hmm. a, a little uncomfortable um and and it takes me out of the movie yeah but did it make you feel that the movie was racist because i know you've kind of said that before you referred to it as kind of a racist movie not just a movie that makes fun of racism but actually as a racist movie well i mean they use it they use it so casually mm-hmm. it would be hard not to be misconstrued as a racist yeah. film do do i think it's a, a racist film no i don't think mel brooks is a racist by any stretch of the imagination mm-hmm. um i thought at the time like you said uh he was trying to smash it in the face and you know it, it's lame to say that it was a different time back then and but mm-hmm. that's why it was ex- acceptable and you know it, it, it's it's weird to use that as, as an excuse but that's how it was then yeah right so watching it when i did watch it i couldn't tell you if i laughed at all of those jokes you know um and it wasn't just against uh black people i mean they they no. went after everybody in this film yeah right there, there were some i i you know the use of that word especially these days 
really did take me out of the movie a little bit. It made it harder to laugh at the movie than it, you know we had in the past. You know, and there are other incidences like when Mel Brooks has red face on as the Native American. Yeah. Um, there's some you know anti-Semitism jokes that he makes, even though he's Jewish. And they make fun of the gays. They make fun and of the, the gays. And, and yeah. he's a, that that in part that you know at the end with Dom DeLuise and all that. I found myself not finding that as funny as I did, obviously, a long time ago, but I've also grown as a person over time. Have you? I think I have. But that, mm. you know, I have to thank my wife for that. Well, I knew it wasn't you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I can definitely, looking at the movie, knowing what his intent was, which was, again, making fun of racist people and showing how ridiculous they are, because here comes a guy that they're, you know, they're hating just because of the color of his skin, yet he saves all their lives, saves the town, and ends up pretty much being the smartest person in the movie oh absolutely and and there's no question about that yeah. i think it's just uh the way they went about it yeah and again back then i guess it was socially acceptable i mean nominated for three academy awards but and but today not so much well you look at other movies that use the n-word i actually went you know did a quick search on it you got movies like the wolf of wall street pulp fiction the django unchained obviously the shining the Hateful Eight, Reservoir Dogs, True Romance. So there are a lot of good movies out there that use it. You, you don't really call them racist movies. It just fit into the movie. This one, it did feel overused. Mm -hmm. And, you know, back then, maybe he was using it for comic timing and comic, you know, effect. But yeah, but using it doesn't it, work today. Yeah, using it for comedic purposes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What do you make of all this? So... I think that works of art um, are always the product of the time in which they are produced. And so this is how it was then. And I, I agree with John that our discomfort stems from the fact that we have grown and we have evolved to know that this is something that is uncomfortable. It's not okay. It's offensive. But when this movie was made, this movie was made less than 10 years after the civil rights movement. Yeah. This movie was made less than six years after uh, Martin Luther King's assassination. So these things are, 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 are vibrant and, and raw at this time and certainly are uh, turned upside down in this movie for the sake of Mel Brooks wanting to smash it. Uh, Richard Pryor very much wanted to smash that as well. And he decided he wanted to own the word and it became a part of his comedy routine. And eventually he found himself saying, I am completely at ease. It's not an uncomfortable word. Richard Pryor changed his mind and he decided that, yeah, I, I don't need to use that word. And it's not something that I want to be promoting the use of that word anymore. Uh, now, one of the things I want to point out is Mel Brooks did say that when this movie came out, he did get some hate mail for using the word. Oh, I can uh, imagine. But he said the majority of people who sent in the hate mail were white people. He never had any black people complain to him, according to Mel Brooks. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, knowing what we know now and watching it recently, is the way you feel about it going to affect your ratings at all? Rewatchability? Maybe. That's a good good question. No. Interesting. In order to ruin a western town, a corrupt politician appoints a black sheriff who promptly becomes his most formidable adversary. 
This movie was made for $2.6 million and grossed $120 million. So, yeah, well, apparently and, people loved it. <laughs> you think, you know, a movie that came out in 1974 grossed that much. Yeah, crazy. It, it was a, a big gamble. Um, the producers uh, of the studio, they they uh, he was asked several times to make changes, of which he did none of. And so they chose to release it in February. There's off months in Hollywood where they release a movie that they're not sure how it's going to do. And February uh, was when this was released. And it turned out to be such box office gold that up until Black Panther, this was the number one grossing movie released in February. Producers actually did not want to release this movie. They originally decided to just throw it in the trash and take the loss. But uh, and when they first saw it, and then Mel Brooks screened it for I believe a bunch of other people worked there, and other people, and they loved the movie, so they gave it a chance with a small release initially. Yeah. On the American frontier of 1874, a new railroad under construction will have to be rerouted through the town of Rock Ridge in order to avoid quicksand. Realizing this will make Rock Ridge worth millions, Attorney General Hedley Lamar wants to force Rock Ridge's residents to abandon their town and sends a gang of thugs, led by his flunky Taggart, to shoot the sheriff and trash the town. The town's people demand that Governor William J. Petame appoint a new sheriff to protect them. Lamar persuades dim-witted governor to appoint Bart, a black railroad worker about to be executed for assaulting Taggart. A black sheriff, Lamar reasons, will offend the townspeople, create chaos, and leave Rock Ridge at his mercy. So we open with a railroad scene, and uh, we have uh, the workers swinging their spikes, doing a bunch of nothing. They were just swinging those spikes into the ground. I do have to say, though, they were building that railroad faster then I think Sound Transit has made it. Then when we get Lyle, sing us a song. Oh my, okay, so I did chuckle at this point. I thought this this scene was pretty funny. Um, yeah, they come up, they want him to sing a song. I get a kick out of you. Yeah. That was awesome. That sounded so good. It did. And then when the background singers come in and go, ooh, you know, so that scene made me chuckle, but I mean... The scenes were far and few between. I did read a little interesting fact about that scene. Uh, the character Lyle, the henchman, mm-hmm. did not want to use the N-word. He was very much against using the N-word in that scene. And Cleveland Little, little. Cleveland little uh, told him, you know, it's okay to use it here. I'm okay with it because I know you don't mean it. If you meant it, I pretty much have to knock you out. Yeah. And I'm sure that's probably how it was on set. You know, uh, it didn't seem to bother Bart in the film. He he kind of uh, approached it like you know most uh, like everyone should. It's an ignorant word, and it just kind of rolls off his back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I love that railroad people were uh, just making assumptions. No, don't sing that. Sing swing low, right? Or and then they go right into uh, Camp Town races. I mean, so again, a little bit of a chuckle. From there, we move on to uh, Hedley Lamar's intro. Harvey Corman of Carol Burnett fame. I thought he did a great job. He was very good. No, he was definitely a villain, right? Mm -hmm. So that was was Harvey Corman. And I do love the fact that he makes a joke about being sued, Uh you know, by uh, 
Hadley Lamar. Yeah. And he really did end up getting, they ended up getting sued by Hadley. Yeah. And because he always makes it a point to, uh, no, they call him Hetty. Mm-hmm. Hetty Lamar. Hetty Lamar. And he's yeah. Hadley Lamar. Right. Yeah. Uh, you're very much a mustache twirling villain for the time. Very, mm-hmm. uh, very much fit the, the period we were in. And then we move on to the quicksand scene. And the quicksand is uh, uh, pretty uh, silly. Have either of you ever encountered quicksand in real life? No. I can't say that I have, sir. I haven't either. And I guess it is exceedingly rare. But from time to time, it makes its appearance in movies and cartoons and such. Yeah. Quicksand. Uh, uh, I immediately thought of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. They fall into quicksand. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of Princess Bride. Ah, the Princess Bride. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Ton, there's a ton of movies out there. Uh, it, it was kind of uh, funny uh, when they're going to, uh, the gang shows up as they're sinking into the quicksand and, and they get a rope and they throw it and they save the, the hand truck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just on and on and on with this movie. And then we move on to uh, the residents at church, and uh, as they're singing their their song, I don't remember what the lyric was, but it ends with something to do with their town is shit or something like that. Yeah, they were they were bashing the town and just kind of trying to accept life as it is. And uh, everyone's last name was Johnson. Yeah, which was office obvious, you know, very convenient. Yeah, yeah, I saw the the sign for the Howard Johnson. Mm-hmm. So that's, did you that. see the outhouse had an orange roof on it? Uh-uh. Which is, I guess, a traditional for Howard Johnson establishments. Oh, or is it? Yeah. 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 So, yeah, we meet the town. Uh, I noticed that there was Higgins from Magnum P.I. Mm-hmm. Yeah, John Hillerman, is it? I think so. Hillerman, yeah. I, You know, it's funny. A while back, I believe we came over here and we watched Dr. Strangelove. Mm-hmm. I had never seen that movie before, but I had seen Blazing Saddles. Now that I've seen Dr. Strangelove and seen... Mm-hmm. Slim, uh, Slim Pickens. Pickens in Doctor Strangelove. It makes me view this movie whole different. That character. Oh, really? Yeah, because he's almost playing the same character in this movie they did in Doctor Strangelove. Yeah, well, Just I that think kind of country guy. I think Slim Pickens. That was the character, right? So I think mm-hmm. everything he did was kind of like that. Uh, all I remember about that night is I think I fell asleep. Yeah. Did you catch the part about Slim Pickens riding the bomb all the way down? Yeah. Yeah, just every time I watch him in every scene in Blazing Saddles, I kept seeing him yahooing as he's yeah. lying down on the bomb. Yeah. For the entire shoot, when they were there uh, out in the desert, Slim Pickens, he had an RV that he stayed in, and he, he would make a campfire each night, and he would sit out there for, for the evening with his Winchester rifle. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I think it's the same guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. They get the, they see the quicksand and now they have to reroute the railroad and then they um, decide how they, they want to get rid of the town, the townsfolk, right? So they come in and they shoot chase them up, off. Right. And uh, so now they have, they go to the governor and say, we want. Right. We meet the governor. We meet the governor. And I thought the first thing I thought of uh, at this scene, and I know this was made before Spaceballs, but he was very much the same character as he was in Spaceballs. Mm-hmm. President Scroob. I, you know, I've seen him play different parts in different movies. This is the role I probably liked least 
of Melbourne. I mean, not only did he kind of play the same guy, you know, from Spaceballs, but he played it way dumber, way clueless, a little bit cross-eyed. You know, I really wasn't into the character at all. I didn't find him funny at all. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't find the mayor funny either. He he was a very pedestrian character for me. So I guess just overnight, uh, Bart gets to become sheriff. Right. This is this is uh, Headley Lamar's idea that he is going to take uh, something so repugnant to the townspeople that they're going to want to leave because this is such an atrocity to have a black sheriff. Right. Right. Ne- I- never heard of right this is the and that's how he kind of convinces the mayor this you'll be known for uh, being the first to allow a black sheriff uh so uh bart gets to be sheriff he comes riding in i love his outfit right uh the little track suit he has on as he's riding in and the townsfolk are getting all kinds of prepared for him and they have their little speech and, and the one dude who speaks gibberish is up on the gabby. roof gabby and uh, he starts yelling out, Here, the, the sheriff's coming, the sheriff's coming, he's, uh, and then the, a bell would go off. You know what I mean? All I right. do really enjoy uh, the, the swell of music and uh, his immaculate outfit. And then we have Count Basie and his orchestra actually out there. That was pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And how the music just, when he gets there, everything just stops. He gets up to the, give his speech and they all point guns at him. Yeah. Then he points the gun at himself. Mm-hmm. Which I never really understood. What do you mean? I didn't think it was that funny. Well, again, it's just a statement of these racist town people are morons. I totally get that. I totally get why he's doing it. I totally get that the uh, the townsfolk are fucking dumb as rocks. I just didn't think the entire bit itself was funny. You know that it was based off of almost a true story? Is that supposed to make it funnier to me? Uh, Mel Brooks, when he was young, shoplifted a squirt gun from a department or from a little drugstore mm-hmm. and got caught on the way out. And so he pointed the squirt gun at the person and kind of wandered out, kind of doing the same thing. That's where he got the idea from. Yeah. Sorry, Mel. <laughs> Still not funny to me. Yeah. Uh, I suppose you two loved it. The first time I saw it, I think I, I chuckled and laughed. The second time when I knew it was coming and what was going to happen. Again, it's it's... A lot of this movie is very Looney Tunes. It's a very cartoonish. Oh, from the opening credits. Absolutely. And, and I knew that going into it. Yeah. I'm and just I, saying it just wasn't funny. And but, I just felt like, oh, this is something Bugs Bunny would do. That this movie is absurd. Oh, my gosh. I think this might be an absurd movie. Yeah. And, you know, since I am on a track record of musicals, I did give you a Western musical. You know what? I'm done trying to convince you what the proper genres are or what films would fit in said proper genres. So I'm just going to let you do you, boo, and you're just going to have to deal with the wrath. Well, it is a Western, isn't it? It is a Western. It is a Western. It, I, I would call it, before a Western, I would call it a comedy. But then, I call it a spoof. What's the difference between a spoof and a comedy? Well, this is a spoof of a Western. No, I... Which I, is a comedy, but I'm just saying I would call it a spoof before I would say call it anything else. It's a parody. Oh, okay. Well, see, I would call it a comedy. Yeah. I would call it a comedy, comedy Western. Okay. Well, actually, you could say Western comedy, I suppose. But now we're just splitting hairs. After an initial hostile reception, Bart relies on his quick wits and the assistance of Jim, an alcoholic gunslinger known as the Waco Kid, to overcome the townspeople's hostility. Bart subdues Mongo, an immensely strong, dim-witted, yet philosophical henchman sent to kill him. 
then outwits German seductress for hire Lily von Stroop at her own game, with Lily falling in love with him. Upon release, Mongo informs Bart of Lamar's connection to the railroad. So Bart and Jim visit the railroad worksite and discover from Bart's best friend Charlie that the railroad is planned to go through Rockridge. Taggart and his men arrive to kill Bart, but Jim outshoots them and forces their retreat. Lamar, furious that his schemes have backfired, recruits an army of thugs, including common criminals, motorcycle gangsters, Ku Klux Klan members, Nazis, and Methodists. So I gotta say, the the spot I did enjoy of this film definitely was Gene Wilder and him and Bart's friendship. Yeah. I dug that. That, that relationship and those scenes alone are going to be why I score it what I do. Right. The the uh, the initial conversation that they have after uh, he's out of the jail cell. Yeah. Or even when he's hanging upside down. Yeah. He says, uh, are we awake? We are. And then Gene Wilder's like, are we black? <laughs> we are. Yeah. Then what, I guess we're awake. What do you think yeah. of the casting of Gene Wilder in that role? Oh, I love Gene Wilder in anything he does. Mm-hmm. I, I really think he's funny. He has great comedic timing. Uh, his, his presence on screen is, I bought that he was the Waco kid, right? I, I buy that he's Dr. Frankenstein. Um, I really like Gene Wilder. Originally, Mel Brooks wanted someone a lot older to play that role. He had someone in mind, or he had hired someone named Gig Young. I don't know that person. He also wanted Johnny Carson to play that role. But Gig Young was the actual person that was hired, and on the first day of filming, he showed up drunk. So they're like, okay, well, the character's supposed to be an alcoholic. Well, he was too drunk to do the role. He kept passing out. So when they hung him upside down, he started spitting out green stuff all over the place. So they basically um, went to fire him, and the guy's manager said, well, he's a recovering alcoholic. And Mel Brooks looked at the manager and said, well, he's not really recovering. <laughs> and they fired him the first day of the shots and hired Gene Walter. Yeah. And lucky for us, he did. Him, uh, Bart and the Waco kid have a, a good conversation. You know, they get to know each other. I love the bit where he says, uh, here, look at my hand. And Bart says, oh, steady as a rock. And then he yeah. looks at his other hand, he's shaking up and down. He goes, well, that's the hand I shoot with. Yeah. So, again, uh, Gene Wilder was was a treat in this film. Yeah, he, he's got excellent comedic timing. And I kept thinking when I was watching that, you know, especially now knowing that Richard Pryor was supposed to be in it, you know, this would have been what the third or fourth. Well, it would have been the first movie the two of them had done together, but in a series of movies they've done together. Can you imagine if it had been Richard Pryor and Gene Walter? Can you name them all? Well, I know there there was uh, the deaf and blind one. What's that one called? See no evil, hear no, no evil. evil. So he doesn't know the Stir names. crazy and one what's, more. What's the other one? Silver Streak. I don't think I've seen that With one. Jill Claiborne on a train. Yeah, I've seen all of their collaborations. Yeah. Uh, I love See No Evil, See No Evil, Hear No Evil. That's, yeah. a, that's, that's, that's a great probably movie. the fun one of the bunch. Yeah. Silver <laughs> Streak's okay. I didn't mind Stir Crazy too much. That was a, one of the movies I really liked. It's been a while since I've seen that one. I think I've seen uh, See No Evil, Hear No Evil. Well, I do, I do have a food movie left in the helmet. That could be it. Uh, I'm sure you'll find some way to turn whatever movie you picked into a food movie. So no, we'll just it, wait and it, see. It's going to be a musical. That's what I said. 
So Bart has to go out and deal with these townsfolk. Isn't this where? Well, we we get uh, the evening campfire scene where we are introduced to Mongo. But immediately before that is the uh, infamous beans farting scene. Beans and coffee. Yeah. That scene went on for two minutes too long. Yeah. I love a fart joke just as much as the next guy, but yeah. There is a sense of humor to watching the edited version with the farts taken out. Mm-hmm. Because all of a sudden you got all these cow- cowboys around a campfire and just mysteriously they're all standing up and sitting down. Lifting and their cheeks. It's and like this weird choreography dance they're doing of just getting up and down. Yeah. So the guy who plays Mongo, Alex Karaz, anybody know what he was before he was an actor? A football player. Who do you play for? A football team. Uh, the Bears? The Chicago Bears. The Bears. The Bears. Uh, what else did he go on to be? Anybody? Was he the dad of Webster? He's the dad of Webster. You get two points That's there. That's what I thought. You put a little mustache on him, you can see it. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Mongo comes into town. Everyone's running around, tripping. Afraid of him. Afraid of him. And then uh, it's up to Bart to handle the situation. I had to look up. I didn't understand why. When he rode the ox into town. Uh-huh. Why did it have yes and no on the back of the ox? I actually found out why. What is it? Basically, school buses used to have on the back of them yes and no to tell people what sides to pass on. So they were basically trying to say he was big as a bus. Uh, well, and him riding an ox, right? Yeah. That, that the whole thing that, that he's, he's bigger than life. Right. Yeah, no, I got that with the, the with the ox, um, but yeah, I, I wasn't yeah, sure. Yeah, so the it's a joke was. that just doesn't work again these days. So yeah, we introduced to Mongo, and Bart takes care of him with a bomb, which I thought was very Looney Tunesy. But very. I like how he, he he dresses up as the. I mean, how many costumes does this sheriff have? Yeah, well, it's it's Bugs Bunny. It's very Bugs Bunny. Now there were other scenes that did get cut by Mel Brooks when he was editing it that he put mongo through the paces you know he almost drowned him he you know exploded him he electrocuted him all these different things but we i think we only got to see him getting blown up and then done so he they capture mongo they string him up in the jail they chain him up they chain him up in the jail uh and then uh the mayor no at, at the attorney general oh yeah yeah what's his name oh headley headley lamar headley lamar is all pissed off so he goes to his secret weapon uh lily lily madeline khan she's not in this movie very long no but uh she was she was enjoyable in the movie she plays the same person in young frankenstein doesn't she mm-hmm. and pretty much in history of the world part one so she a seductress yeah so she kind of but even with that german accent and the way they say wabbit you know what i mean mm-hmm. she they uh, to me it felt like she plays that same character but i guess this would have been the first one right mm-hmm. yeah. yeah the first time so yeah, we're introduced to this character, and she is supposed to seduce Bart, but it goes the other way because Bart is too smart, and she ends up falling in love with him. This is the only scene, the two of them together, that Mel Brooks agreed to originally cut from the movie, but then he put it back in for, uh, I think, the video release, which was when the lights go off and she says, it's true, it's true. He was supposed to say, uh, ma'am. You're sucking on my arm. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That's but funny. They, they cut that line. Well, see, now had they left that in there and I chuckled, they might have given it another point up. So now, what, what the fuck is Headley going to do, right? Yeah. So he 
seems to be in love with Lily or something. Oh yeah, well he she's a seductress. Yeah, right. So she has all him, the men are falling for her. Right, she has him wrapped around her finger, and she is wrapped around uh, Bart's. Well, the performance arm. that she does before you know that earlier that evening, uh, Mel Brooks actually wrote the song that she sang. Mel Brooks wrote all of the songs they sang, and he says that that is the dirtiest song he's ever written for any movie. I didn't think it was that dirty. Well, apparently it was the dirtiest that he has written. No, I mean it had its little side snide jokes in it. Didn't make it funnier. No. Sorry. Uh, so now uh, it's up to Lamar to hire a bunch of people to... You can't tell me. And again, I don't know. Maybe I just have something wrong in the head. But when he's got the lineup of people and getting them all ready, seeing the people on the horses with the biker handlebars, I don't know why. That makes me chuckle every time I see it. That made me roll my eyes. Did it? Yeah. You laughed, right? Uh, not when they were standing in line and you could only see the chrome handlebars. I did smile when I see the chrome handlebars later on when Headley Lamar is giving him the little pep talk about how he's going to win a supporting actor. Right. You can see the the handlebars on the horses, and that looked kind of that looked kind of funny. But right. just the handlebars by themselves, yeah, yeah, yeah. not really. Yeah. So not not only does Bart uh, succeed on kind of winning the townsfolk over. And he succeeds in uh, winning the seductress over. But now Mongo even wants to be part of their gang, right? So they they release him, and he tells them about the railroad. And so him, uh, Bart, and the Waco kid have to do some recon. Um, but the scene I, I did like, I, and I kind of go backwards here, is when he's proving to Bart that he's the fastest ever. The chess piece. The chess piece. It's such a cute scene. And it, the, it is a cute scene. I, I like that scene. Um and then, you know, later on when he shoots all the guns out of the guy's hands. <laughs> yeah. And, and I love still- how, yeah, yeah. Or, well, first he puts his hands out and everyone's starting to give him five, like he's just one of the guys. And, and that's how I always kind of took the character. He didn't see black or white. He saw human. Right. And I thought Gene Wilder played that great. So, yeah. One of the scenes I really enjoyed was during the lineup scene when all the people are going up and signing in, the one guy's chewing gum and all that, uh, is when uh, Bart and Jim lure the Ku Klux Klan members around the corner. Oh, yeah. Up. The way they lured them, that I thought was funny. How did they lure him again? Gene Wilder, he, he, Jim, he gets their attention. He says, hey, look. And he, and he pulls Bart out. And he says, where are the white woman at? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I may or may not have been asleep. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh and then they get caught, right? Mm-hmm. And he says, because he goes to sign the book, and right. you see his black hand, right? But what what does Gene Wilder say? Something about being really sunburned or something like no, that? No, uh, he he didn't he hasn't cleaned his hands working on the railroad. Oh, that's yeah. what it was. That's you scrub that off. See, it's coming off. East of Rockridge, Bart introduces the white townspeople to the black Chinese and Irish railroad workers who have agreed to help in exchange for acceptance by the community, and explains his plan to defeat Lamar's army. They labor all night to build a perfect replica of the town as a diversion. While Bart realizes it will not fool the villains, the townsfolk construct replicas of themselves. Bart, Jim, and Mongo buy time by constructing the Governor William J. Lepetame Thruway, forcing the raiding party to send for change to pay the toll. Once through the toll booth, the raiders attack the fake town and its population of dummies which have been booby-trapped with dynamite. 
After Jim detonates the bombs with his sharpshooting, launching bad guys and horses skyward, the Rock Ridgers attack the villains. Again, maybe I'm a little sick in the head, but uh, when they do those explosions and the bad guys go flying up in the air and you see those horses <laughs> flying in the air again, I get a little chuckle. I don't know why. Did that make you chuckle at all, seeing the horses flipping around in the air? No. It made me think of Monty Python, uh, Spamalot, mm. uh, and the part where they're launching cows with the catapults. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just made me think of that. <laughs> uh, the toll booth. Oh. I just rolled my eyes. That I that was an eye roll. I mean, come on, Mel. What are you doing? Yeah. You're so much better than that. But again, he was just trying to show how stupid racist people can be. Yeah. Well, they're morons. I, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. But I mean, you know, is what it is. And for the time, yeah, whatever. So I remember the part about this movie is that they do build the fake town. And they got all of that done in 24 hours, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they sure did. That's pretty fucking good. Well, they had those railroad workers who are used to working at a semi-fast pace. Movie yeah. convenience. Movie convenience. Or that's the way Mel wrote it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you think of the plan, the diversion? Of the toll booth or of the fake town? The fake town. And the fact that the, that everybody made replicas of themselves in a half hour? Yeah. Did you buy it? <sighs> <laughs> No, (laughs) you know, my wife who doesn't watch these movies, I did make her watch this movie. Why? Because I like to get her take on it because it's her initial reaction. First time seeing it. You like listening to the hate. Yeah. When this part came up, oh, the hate came out. She was like, oh my God. And she even looked at the town because, you know, they had the fake town, but the road was all covered in bushes and tumbleweeds. And she was like, come on. I'm like, it's not meant to make sense. It's just a comedy. So so you, you make her watch it so you can get her reaction. And then when she gives you said reaction, you tell her why. why You why? ask her why she's having that reaction? Yeah, I'm curious. Well, no, she told you. She, she showed you what the reaction was. She was like, oh, fuck, come on. And you're like, it's a comedy. Let it go. I didn't say let it go. I just. That, that's exactly what you were saying with your comment. Uh. <laughs> Oh, your poor wife. I really feel bad for Julie. That's for just seeing the movie or no, being for, married to Well, me? <laughs> I was just going with the movies, but now that you bring it up, oh, that woman is a saint. So they, they, they pouring into the town, the town gets blown up, and then the ridiculous fight ensues. And this is where you lost me. This is why I think this movie is 30 minutes too long. And it's only an hour and 39 minutes, right? Why, why pan up and show us the entire studio lot? I don't know, because uh, Mel Brooks thought it was funny, and they break the fourth wall throughout the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're always looking times. at the camera. Yeah, um, this is you know. I just read somewhere, and again, maybe I'll have to go back and watch this scene. But when they pan up and show the studio lot, apparently you can see the set of Dukes of Hazards. Cool. I would not ever have known to look for it. Me neither. Um, or nor would I have recognized it. And I did watch a lot of Dukes of Hazard. Mm-hmm. Who didn't? Daisy man. Duke. So just the good old boys. You ever done a tour of Warner Brothers? Them yeah. darn Duke boys. It was yep. kind of nice to see that a lot of it hasn't changed. A yeah, lot of no. it's still the same. We did one four years ago, so not that long ago. 
Um, we got to visit the friend set. We, uh, I got to sit on the bat pod. Wow. Um, I sat in the throne of Atlantis for, mm-hmm. it was right before Aquaman came out. Oh. So whatever year that was, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. We, we went on a tour about, I think it was three or four years ago and we went during Halloween. So it's when they had all the Halloween houses, yeah, haunted I houses know, set up and it was, it's a great time to go. If you can go, cause they had a uh, Arkham one set up with the Joker and Batman and all the villains. Oh, you were just all kinds of happy in your pants, oh, weren't you? Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. The resulting brawl between town folk, railroad workers, and Lamar's thugs literally breaks the fourth wall and bursts onto a neighboring movie set where director Buddy Bazaar is filming a Busby Berkeley-style top hat and tails musical number into the studio commissary for a food fight and spilling out of the Warner Brothers film lot onto the streets of Burbank. Lamar, realizing he has been beaten, hails a taxi and orders the cabbie to drive me off this picture. He ducks into the Guaman's Chinese Theater, which is showing the premiere of Blazing Saddles. As he settles into his seat, he sees on-screen Bart arriving on horseback outside the theater. Bart blocks Lamar's escape and shoots him in the groin. Bart and Jim then enter Grommens to watch the end of the film, in which Bart announces to the townspeople that he is moving on because his work is done, and he is bored. Riding out of town, he finds Jim still eating his popcorn and invites him along to nowhere special. The two friends briefly ride into the desert before dismounting and boarding a limousine, which drives off into the sunset. Roll credits. So you were not a fan of this breaking the fourth wall scene going across the set? No, I thought it was dumb. Professor? No. When we pan up and we look at the whole lot, it's like... <sighs> just, oh my... I don't think you liked it. Gosh. It just... No. No, it it, it was... And, and the fact that Hedley Lamar knows immediately that he can hail a cab and he has cash to pay for the movie... The problem I had with this scene is that it just went on and And on on and on. Absolutely. You know, and for them to arrive at, it was a very jumbled ending, right? Because they ride into the theater, they sit down, and then they get to watch the movie. And then we are expected as the audience to snap right back into Blazing Saddles, right? The the Western uh, musical period piece that you picked. And, um, it just, I know it's supposed to be funny and, and maybe it was, and maybe it probably is, or I'm sure it is to a lot of people, but I just didn't think it was funny. It was jumbling and I didn't like it. Well, for me in any other movie, I felt like it wouldn't work, but this is a Mel Brooks movie and pretty much you can expect the unexpected in a Mel Brooks movie. So him breaking out of blazing saddles and onto the set, I didn't mind as much, but I agree with you that it went on way too long. They didn't need to do the food fight scene. The scene with Dom DeLuise was somewhat funny, but very cringeworthy. Um, I felt like they could have done that. Then if they wanted to go do the Chinese theater thing, sure, that little bit of them watching the movie that they're actually making is kind of, you know, a little bit of a chuck, a little bit funny to me, a little weird. But it just kept going on and on and on. One interesting thing, um, when I think, is it Harvey Corman comes in, asks for candy, he gets raisinets. Uh-huh. Did you hear the story that happened because of that? No. Because Mel Brooks had mentioned raisinets in the movie, uh, the raisinette company 
I think it was Nestle started sending him raisinets every month, like boxes and boxes of raisinets to the point where he is just completely sick of them. Do you like raisinets? I don't mind them. I like them. Do you like them? Not at all. Katie enjoys getting those when she goes to the movie with her friends because then she offers them to everybody. Nobody will take them and she gets to eat them all herself. I fucking hate Raisinets. I'm more of a Reese's Pieces guy when I go to movies. That doesn't shock me. Yeah, yeah the, the ending, it, it, it could have worked a lot better if I wasn't watching it by myself. If I was watching it with other people. Really? It would have made it better for you? I think. Interesting. I... What really took me out was uh, the whole riding the horses in the sunset. I, you know, they could have come up with a better ending. That felt rushed that they all of a sudden just got into a limo and drove off. Oh, I thought that the riding off into the sunset was very Western-ish, and yeah. I'm sure that's exactly how it was going to end. Um, them already getting into the limo and driving and taking off, I had already checked out, so I didn't fucking yeah, yeah. care. What was the official point you checked out? Probably around the fight. Right. I mean, it, it was borderline. I was borderline uh, when with the fake town. Okay. It's a Mel Brooks movie. Well, let me the put absurd it, happens. I'll go with it. But then the fight just went on too long, too long, too long. Let so me put it this done. way. In, in Don's standard, you can tell how much you hated or liked or hated a movie. How many times did you click, check the clock throughout this movie? Oh, I didn't. I just let it run because I, okay. I knew it was short to begin with. Okay. So. Same. Uh, I, I didn't check the clock at all, but I, but I did find myself saying several times inside my head, come on, let's go, come on, come on, come on, yeah. come on, let's get through this. Yeah, I think I fell asleep when they went back to the, oh, when they went to the railroad camp to tell them, you know, get all the shovels, get all the wood, get all this, we're going to go make a fake town. I had to rewind it because, yeah, Mel Brooks was putting me yeah. to sleep. Well, the person that I was watching with, Julie, she kept telling me every time she got up don't don't pause please just keep letting it play and don't you pause it. and you fucking paused it didn't you yeah yeah you're such a dick that that or she would look at me every so often and say is is it almost over <laughs> wow again saint your wife okay there you go i think that this movie has not held up for me very well over time agreed do either one of you recall having a particular fondness for the movie in your past that when you remember seeing it for the, the early days of well, seeing it, that it was, it was funny to you? Well, let, no. me, let me put it this way. You ever have those movies that you, like, you haven't seen in a long time and you think, God, I remember that movie being you know, really a good movie. I, I want to go see it. And then you go back and it's a real letdown that you thought it would be funny or you thought it would be this great movie. But you must have been remembering something wrong from your childhood. Yeah, well, I don't know if we remember it wrong from our childhood. We were just dumber when we were younger. Yeah, because so. Um, but yeah, no, effect. that that happens to me all the time. Yeah, I mean, maybe not all the time, but that happens to me. Yeah, I and it's not just with comedies; it's with a lot of movies. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, does this still hold up? Eh, not so much. Interesting enough, and Professor, I don't know if you can correct me if I'm wrong here. Uh, this movie was one of the first, and I don't know how many he's done afterwards. Mel Brooks mostly writes his own movies. He writes the movies. Uh, this movie was written by him and four other people. So I thought it was interesting that um, maybe that's just why it didn't work out as well. It's not as up to par as you would expect from Mel Brooks compared to his other movies. Yeah, maybe. All right, so what do you guys think? You guys ready to rate this bitch? 
I'm ready. Sure. You want me to go first since this was mine? Sure, buddy. Go ahead. Okay. Professor, do you want to explain how we do our ratings? Yeah, sure. Why not? So, a five is a movie that you are ready to watch immediately. You walk out of the theater and say, I'm ready to watch that right now. That's going to be a five. You're ready to watch it at any time. A one is a movie where you saw it and you have no desire to see it again. For whatever reason that took you into the movie, it did not rise to any expectations and you have zero desire to ever see it again. So a three is going to be a movie that you feel, yeah, I'll watch that again. Maybe you end up owning it. Maybe you end up watching it again in a couple of weeks or a couple of years, but you know you'll watch it again at some point. And a zero? A zero. Somebody owes me two hours of my life back. There you go. That is our rating system. My wife actually asked me if there was anything lower than a zero to give this movie. Well, that just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that don't make no sense. Zero, zero, zero. Okay. Uh, basically, for me, um, going in to watch this movie, I had a higher expectations. I thought, okay, you know, I remember this movie being really funny. I remember it being, you know, uh, a, you know, a typical Mel Brooks film. I, you know, like a lot of Mel Brooks movies. And then, like I said, it was a little bit of a letdown. But one of the things I really wanted to experience with this movie was seeing it through the eyes of somebody who had not seen it before to see if any of the comedy holds up to what it did back then and what the reactions were, especially in this day and age. So that's why, you know, I asked Julie if she would watch the movie with me. Um, Finding myself having to explain in several parts, why certain things might have been funny or what the purpose of this movie was or the fact that, no, he's not just being racist for to be, you know, funny racism and all that. He's actually trying to, you know, smash racism in the face. And having this play made me really think this movie doesn't really hold up like, you know, it's meant to. It doesn't really accomplish the goal back then that it was trying to accomplish, especially today. So for those kind of reasons, you know, I I understand and I applaud Mel Brooks for trying to do what he was doing, especially working with, you know, Richard Pryor and other people for trying to get a statement out there, you know, back when, you know, Hollywood even today still has a lot of racism running through it. I mean, look at some of the award shows and some of the people that have won the awards or given awards look at, you know, the Academy, look at, you know, way still people are portrayed in movies. I mean, you can go through a list of just racist movies over the last, you know, 30, 40 years. And so if you go back and you try to look at this movie compared to other movies, I don't, you know, feel that this movie meant to be racist, but this day and age, it just doesn't work as well. So, for that reason, I'm going to have to give it a 2.0, you know, especially on the rewatchable. I really, you know, I really wanted to love it uh, from my expectations, you know, from my what vaguely I remembered of it. But I just I don't have any desire much to really go back and watch it. If I'm flipping through the channels or if it comes on, might watch it a little bit. Or if someone else wants to watch it, I might watch it with them. But I'm not going to go out and seek it out. So, again, for that reason, I'm going to give it a 2.0. Interesting. 2.0. You or me? I'll go next. Okay. So, for me, in in watching Blazing Saddles, I had a a fond recollection of this movie. But as stated earlier, I have 
not watched it in a very long time. And because I hadn't watched it in such a long time, I, I knew in general where the movie is going and what it, to get out of it. But the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the constant, uh, you know, racial slurs that are used throughout, I, I sort of get it, but I, I um, the, uh, the dance the dance scene at the end you know where all the top hats and, and tails why do they all have to be gay why that stereotypical trope what about um and then the other one that 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 uh bugged me was when he when uh i think it's taggart no maybe it's not taggart it, it's it's one of the townspeople saying that uh fine you know the blacks and the chinese can stay but you know, the, the third not the group, Irish. Not the Irish. It's like that's still racism, and, and I get it. But anyway, um, I I, I uh, have had a lot more uh, thoughts, you know, since last watching this movie about racism in general that we have certainly grown through, and we have certainly evolved a great deal. And the fact that the movie, I don't think I really laughed out loud. I, like I said, I, I chuckled at, at the campfire fart scene, but that was probably one of two or three times that made me smile. And the rewatchability is really low. It, it It's okay. I've seen it a bunch of times and now watching it, it's like, man, I'm not ready to watch it again anytime soon. So are there any moments that I want to watch again? I can't think of any. Okay. So, I'd say for me, I, I think I'm looking at a 1.5. Wow, 1.5 and a 2.0 for a movie that's rated 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. Which is really curious that this is such, this movie rates very high on a lot of comedy uh, lists. Yeah. It is considered to be a, a, a classic comedy, and it is a classic screwball comedy for sure. But, you know, when, when you look at comedies... I don't know. It's just not there. So here's the thing you have to ask yourself. When were these lists compiled? And if they were compiled a long time ago, if we redid the list today or whoever does the list, would this film still be on it? Do you think? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, all, all questions we'll probably never get answers to. All right. So one point, one point five from you, professor 2.0 from you, uh, comic book guy. Uh, Blazing Saddles. Here's what I liked. I like Gene Wilder. Uh, I like the opening scene on the railroad where they were singing. Um, I thought that was uh, funny. I liked uh, the relationship between Bart and Jim. I like Cleveland Little. I thought he was charismatic. I thought he did really well with the role. I just didn't think that he was really given a lot to work with. Right. Uh, the script, the story, it's a very bad guy versus good guy, zany, Bugs Bunny, like you were saying, over the top. Um, absurd. Absurd type of movie. And, you know, I don't think it holds up today. And, you know, say what you will. Um, I, I don't know. I just, for me, it wasn't funny. And I think Mel Brooks has a lot more more funny films than blazing saddles so uh would i go back and watch it again probably not if someone said hey let's watch blazing saddles i would say what else is on you know type of a deal so for me uh blazing saddles gets a 1.5 as well 
There you go. That might be one of the lowest scored movies. All right, so that's going to close the door on Blazing Saddles. Thank God. How many more movies do you have left? I have one in the helmet, just a food movie. Fuck me, dude. Your movies suck. And did I tell you it's the ultimate food movie? Oh, what is it? Uh, Matrix Reloaded? Because they get to eat stale old bread. That counts as a food movie and a period piece and a fucking musical. We still have your Western to do, don't we? Yeah, and and you are going to hate it. Comic book guy. You're because, not going to like it. Because it's not a musical? Not a musical. You're making us rewatch Goodfellas? That's not a Western. Well, I figured you'd put it in there. No, but I see, I know how genres, genres work. I, I assumed you did too, but apparently I was wrong. Um, all right, so this is the time where we're going to pull our next film out of our Bronco helmet. Uh, I picked Blazing Saddles, I believe, so who's it on? It's my pick. Oh. Well, let's see here. And, we got and you looked. Why would you look in the helmet? Because I'm making sure that they're all randomized. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means either. There's only four left. I didn't know where in the helmet they were. Oh, brother, it's not that big of a helmet. Well, it's got to fit Don's head, so it's pretty big. Well played. Apparently, we will be doing a period piece. That would be my period piece. And the movie... For next time, which I know nothing about, is 1917. Is that the Sam Mendes war film? Yes, it is. It's a war film, buddy. You're going to love it. I love me some war films. So 1917, that sounds pretty period piece. Whatever, dude. All right, so uh, kind of things for looking forward into the future. We have a special... Um, a couple special episodes coming up in October, and then we are going to get into the fan picks. Uh, don't think that we forgot about you guys who have submitted the movies. Uh, we haven't. Uh, we will review them. Uh, you have John's word on that. Yeah. and uh, Really looking forward to it. Yeah, we have we have a lot of fun stuff uh, ahead for you guys. Yeah. So um, we just want to say thank you to our one true listener. Thank you for listening. And John promises he'll get our pods up on Thursdays. Uh, I'm just fucking with you, dude. <laughs> you guys should see his face right now. <laughs> Coming from the same guy who, when I had my heart attack, I'm sitting in the hospital and he's texting me, why haven't you posted the podcast? That's right. Why haven't you? You were, you were able to sit up and type on your phone. I don't see the problem. (laughs) Uh, Don't forget to follow us, hit subscribe on anything you want. And Hey, John, where can they find us? Right here in your basement. They can also find us at our website, threeguysinaflick.com. They can find us at any popular or not so popular podcast you know, hosting site. I've thrown us up everywhere on them. Uh, I'm, I'm cheaper than a $2 whore. Uh, and they can find us um, at our Facebook page. They can find us at our Instagram page. Uh, we're not quite on TikTok yet, though. I think we should maybe get into that, right? Who you, knows? You want a TikTok? No. Oh, so what I just heard the professor was say was, yes. I think he's had a bad experience with TikTok. <laughs> All right, so for three guys in a flick, I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. Say, Don, if we're riding off into the sunset, where's the limousine? <laughs> right out the front door, my friend. Right out the front door.
Olson Johnson, Howard Johnson, Gabby Johnson, Reverend Johnson, Van Johnson, Harriet Johnson. Yippee ki motherfucker. All right, so, um, yeah, you're not picking anything ever again, dude. You suck. I really wanted to pick my food movie out of that helmet. I, I kind of just want to know what it is now, but I don't know. I'll wait. I'll wait. It's cool. Julie knows. Of course she does. She picked it. All right, fuck off. I love you all.